Hello, hello, my fellow podcast people. I hope you're doing very, very well on this fine Sunday afternoon or whatever day and time it is for you right now as you're listening to this podcast episode. I'm your host, as per usual, Azar and the Language Nerd. You can find me primarily on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and YouTube, but also secondarily whenever I feel like posting on TikTok and on Tumblr. My username on all these platforms is exactly the same. It is at polyglotazrin. That is spelled P-O-L-Y-G-L-O-T-A-Z or Z, depending on your country, R-E-N. You can also simply search Azrin the Language Nerd on whatever your favorite social media platform is. So again, that is spelled A-Z or Z-R-E-N, The Language Nerd. And welcome to another podcast episode. I'm very, very excited, as per usual, to be recording this one here. To start this podcast off, I want to talk about something that is not related to language learning. However, it is still something that I believe to be an interesting topic. And it has to do with with technology. Obviously, over time, technology has evolved quite a bit and obviously will continue to evolve as time goes on. However, um, it's interesting for me to see how a lot of children and younger people tend to use technology nowadays. When you look at a lot of the headlines in the news or you listen to a lot of the conversations that some people have, you hear about some of the negative negative effects of technology. Perhaps you hear about cyberbullying. You might hear about people not knowing how to have face-to-face conversations, being less social. There are a lot of headlines um, that talk about some of the drawbacks, such as the ones that I mentioned about technology. Now, I'm not an expert. I'm not overly well-versed in the topic, so I don't want to go... I don't want to start talking too much about those, but I want to share personal observation around a very positive element of technology and, more specifically, the internet. I work, obviously, uh, teaching languages, right? For the most part, I work with adults. However, I always do a little bit of tutoring with kids. I always seem to have one or two kids or three kids that I'm working with on different things related to their language classes at school. And while I've worked with many, many kids now and and I have observed many kids, it's interesting that because of the internet, they can now go dive in head first into whatever interests that they have. And they can dive in with such an amount of energy and passion and interest that in the past might have been a little bit more difficult. I can give you a few examples of this. Most recently, like literally, what, half an hour ago, not even, I was sitting and working with one of my one of my English tutoring students, and next to us was a boy of about, I don't know, eight years old, nine years old, something like that, and he was using one of the public computers at the library. And this kid is fascinated by geography. And just, I can, I'm looking at his screen. I can see his screen from where I was sitting and I'm looking at it. And the child is talking to himself so I can hear his thought process. (laughs) And he is really knowledgeable. He's playing these different uh, games online about geography. And the games will be like, what country's bigger, this one or this one? And he'll be like, oh, that one's definitely bigger. And he was almost always correct. And it was interesting because obviously with a lot of the common countries like maybe Russia or Canada, India, countries that a lot of us have heard of, most of us could probably make an educated guess as to what country is bigger, for example. 
but he was doing it with really small cities even, and really small countries that we don't hear about very often. And he'll be like, oh, Vatican City or, uh, or Moscow. Well, I know Moscow is about this many kilometers big or blah, 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 blah. And, and he's talking to himself so I can hear it. It's, I think it's going to be Moscow that's bigger, not Vatican City. And then he, he played these different games and on and on and on. And if it weren't for the internet, I think it would have been more difficult for this child to have learned so much about geography at such a young age. I've seen it with other kids with marine biology. I met a guy, a child rather, a child who I used to work with who was really interested in marine biology. And he would watch so many Netflix, Netflix documentaries and, and watch so many YouTube videos, read so many blog posts that this kid at the age of, he would have been, I think 11, maybe approximately 11, um, was so knowledgeable. He knew a lot, like a lot about marine biology. It's a, it was a little bit uncanny, actually. <laughs> so obviously, this has nothing to do with language learning as a whole, obviously. Um, but it still interests me because I think sometimes we hear about the negative sides of technology, which are real. And I think there probably most definitely actually are different drawbacks and negative sides and things we have to be mindful of. But I wanted to take a few minutes today to talk about a positive element which I have noticed um, over the past couple of years. On a similar topic, but going on a bit of a tangent, seeing as everybody, children, adults, all of us, we have access to whatever passions and interests and hobbies and such that we have, and we can learn a lot about them. You know, I actually think it's one of the reasons as to why um, it's, imp I think for me anyway, it's interesting and important I find to create content around language learning, talk about language learning, talk about how I am interested in language learning, how I got into it, talk a lot about that, because I find that that way, people can actually learn and actually realize that having a passion for languages, being interested in languages, is something that other people, is an interest that other people have. Myself, the reason I never went headfirst I should rephrase. The reason I I find that if I had known earlier in my life that there were thousands of people across the world, and perhaps even more than thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, that there's many, 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 many other people across the world who have an interest in learning languages, if I had known that at an earlier age, I actually think I, I might have, there would have been a good chance that I would have dived into language learning a little bit heavier and spent more energy, more attention on it because I knew that there were other people who were interested and I knew that there were people who made a living in that field and I knew more about it. But myself, I only really learned about it at the age of 20, I would have been what, 23, 24, something like that. So I was obviously still young, but it was that I just didn't know. I just didn't know that there were others who were interested. So I think that people like myself, people like anyone who really talks about language learning online, big audience, small audience, medium audience, doesn't really matter what your audience size is, but just putting out that content, talking about it, um, I think it's something that matters. Putting it out there matters because there are people who also have the interest, but either they don't realize that they have the interest 
or they know they have the interest, but they don't pursue it because there's no com- they didn't know that there are other people like that and there is a community around this interest. So that is something that I wanted to make sure I spent some time on in this podcast as well. Now, changing gears again, let's go into a slightly different topic here. And this is a topic I've been thinking about this for the past couple of days. And I think I'm not 100% sure, but I believe there's some value in me talking a little bit more about this as an overall theme over uh, over the months to come, the weeks to come, the years to come, etc. And it is teaching languages. You see, I talk a lot about learning languages. I talk a lot about it. What works for me, what doesn't work for me, what I've seen work for others, what I've seen doesn't work for others, uh, my personal journey, my personal frustrations and victories, and on and on and on. However, recently I've been realizing that I have a real skill set in teaching and a real skill set in helping other people learn. I've been noticing this because I have a lot of experience in it. If we go back, um, actually, before we do that, I have an experience in it with, with teaching and helping people learn things. And so I actually believe that on the podcast, on my content, on my Instagram, on my YouTube, I think that there's going to be, I think that there's some value in me creating some content around this to give, to share some of my perspectives on it. And hopefully that can actually help some different people. So um, quick little backstory that I'll, 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 I'll branch off into a couple different pieces of advice on the, ed, on the language teaching and education side. So for me, I have been very involved in teaching different skills probably since about 2011 would probably be the beginning of it. Maybe even 2012 or 13, you know, more actively, I guess you could say. Um, because I used to run the window cleaning business. And it seems so bizarre. It might sound like, how the heck does a window cleaning business have anything to do with teaching? And it's because in the window cleaning business, I used to work a lot with people where we had to train, we had to coach different people to do different types of tasks. I worked in very salesy environments, which which was which would require me to interact with lots of different people. Um, and so at that job, there was a lot of training and coaching and, 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 and facilitation that I would have to do. And I would get a lot of experience with it at that time. I've taken a lot of that experience and applied it to the language education that I do now. And obviously I've been teaching languages now as my full-time gig, my full-time job for, you know, two and a half, what is it? Two and a half or three or three years now, something like that. So I have a, I have a certain level of knowledge in it. And what helps a lot is I have grown up with my mom, who's been a teacher my whole life. Ever since I have any memories, (laughs) my mom has been a teacher. And so as a byproduct, when you're home and you're hearing about a lot of the stories behind, oh man, I was working with this kid and I realized that blah, 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 blah works and blah, 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 blah doesn't. Growing up around that, I'm sure gives me gives me an edge, I suppose, or gives me some kind of an, an extra bit of inkling into teaching and, and what works and what doesn't, just as just by osmosis of absorbing it from, from my mom. So anyway... Uh, that's a quick little backstory on my teaching, on some of where my teaching knowledge comes from, I suppose. And I think one major language teaching thing that I want to focus on today is uh, you is how do I say this? Um, 
essentially using analogies that are going to work for people to help information stick in their brain. Let me explain. Yesterday, for instance, as per every Saturday, I was running various language learning events for English, uh, for French, English, French, Spanish, and Mandarin learners. At these events, we get you know anywhere between 10 all the way up to about 80 people, depending on the type of event that I'm running. Yesterday, we had I was working with a small table of about would have been five or six people, and they were learning Spanish, and we were going through various different verbs. One of the verbs that people were struggling to remember was putting on makeup. There are many people who are struggling to remember this verb, pronounce it properly, etc. And so one thing I did when I noticed this was I, there's a guy who was sitting there, a guy from Quebec, and he was a, he was a guy, which is an important part of the story. One thing I said with, with this verb is I was like, oh yeah, this is exactly what, his name was Sean, I believe. Was it Sean? Yes, it was Sean. I said, this is exactly what Sean does every day. Puts on his mascara, puts on his makeup, puts on his eyeliner, puts on the lipstick and the foundation. Yeah, look at how beautiful Sean is. Obviously, this is a very funny anecdote because Sean is a guy and Sean, when you look at him, he clearly does not wear makeup. But it makes everyone laugh and everyone's like, ha ha, Sean wears makeup. And so every time people still struggle with the word, but every time they struggle, it's like, oh, it's the thing that Sean does every day, right? Remember, he's the beautiful guy. And it's just a joke, but it's a it's a funny joke that has a real connection behind it. There's 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 something about that of Sean putting on makeup that's just funny and sticks in your brain, and it makes and it makes that word a heck of a lot easier for people to remember. Another example, a similar example, was the word for sneeze. It was a very vocabulary heavy lesson. So to sneeze, right? This is another longer word in Spanish that people were struggling to, to remember. The word for sneeze in Spanish is estornudar. Okay, so E-S-T-O-R-N-U-D-A-R. People were really struggling. So I was like, oh, this word's super easy to remember. It's really easy. They're like, really? How do you remember it? And I said, oh, well, if we break this word down, you go into the store, the store, right? You go into the store, you are nude, right? Because es tor nude, like it sounds like nude in English. You go into the store, you're nude, and then you sneeze. <laughs> so es tor nudar. And obviously, I, I wish on this podcast, I could show you the word and I could write it out and I had a visual because I understand that that joke might not have landed because you can't see how the word is spelled. But if you see how the word is spelled, that's really what it is. You see a word that looks like store. You see a word that looks like nude, right? And then you sneeze. So you go into the store, estor, you're nude, nude, and then you sneeze. So estornudar is to sneeze. And so it's using different strategies like that that can help different words stick in the learner's brain. And you want to do lots of different types of things like that. You can use mnemonics such as what I just did, right? Estornudar. You can make connections using funny stories like, oh, this guy puts on makeup, what? Lots of different funny stories like that. Pictures can be really useful. Sometimes even as repetition is something that, that, that can help a word really get deep into someone's mind. And it's just a very important thing. Going back a couple sentences, let's go back to repetition. Repetition is another very powerful 
uh, teaching strategy, of course, and of course, a learning strategy, a learning strategy as well. It can work extremely well, both on the learner side and the teaching side. I'll give you an example on Saturday or excuse me, on Friday evening, I had, I did a Spanish lesson with about six people, five people, no, six people is a six person Spanish lesson. We had a lesson portion, but we also went to a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant, and we were going to order our food in the Mexican restaurant. Okay, and we were gonna talk and try our best. The level of the students was reasonably beginner. I had one guy there who was more intermediate, another lady who was, I would say, kind of upper beginner, something like that. But for the most part, people are very, very beginner in the language. One of the concepts that I used repetition to help teach, essentially, was the word les in Spanish. Les in Spanish usually means like for them or for you guys, aka I buy a gift for you guys. I buy a gift for them. I send things like that. We're not going to go into the grammar point. That's not the purpose, but there's a, there's a word in Spanish, which is les, and this is the word that was new for new for most people or a word that the others were not super duper familiar with, I guess we could say. So I introduced the word. We talked about it. And I was like, hey, um, the waiter actually said it weirdly at the Mexican restaurant. The waiter used the word and I forget what the sentence was, but he asked us something. I wrote it down on this little whiteboard that I had. I explained what it meant. I explained the sentence. Oh, this is what it means. Here's how it works. They're like, oh, okay, interesting. People's brains are trying to absorb this absorb this concept. Then I specifically throughout the rest of the evening, I was specifically made sure that I would ask people questions that use the word less over and over. It, they would be natural. It was not forced. They didn't even know I was doing it. I never even said that I was going to do it, but I made sure that I did it. So they saw it once, seven minutes later, 10 minutes later, five minutes later, however many minutes later, I asked them a question using this. People didn't understand. They'd already forgotten the word because so many things are happening. Their brains are trying to absorb all this information. So I wrote it on the whiteboard again. List, blah, 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 blah. They're like, oh wait, that list word again. Everyone's like, oh wait, list, what does that mean? Oh, we just saw that. Oh yeah, oh right, right. Then they understand the sentence. Eight minutes later, I asked something else with this. Now it's the third time they've seen it. More people remember it this time. Not everyone, but more people. And so you're, I'm, I'm repeating something. I'm repeating a concept over and over and over, over, you know, repeating it every five to 10 minutes uh, when the people are, are not expecting it. And it helps the word to stick in your brain. This is why strategies such as, uh, I believe they're called SRS, as the spaced repetition systems, I believe that's what they're called, where we have the flashcards, uh, such as an Anki or Anki, it's a flashcard app. It shows you the flashcards um, at specific intervals. So you might put, you might see a word on a flashcard today. You click, good, I know this word. And then it's, it's going to basically hide the flashcard and give it back to you. Let you see it again, like a one day later or three days later at strategic intervals based on when you were just going to forget that word. It's why strategies like that really work because the repetition, the strategic repetition of it is something that allows your brain to absorb that material and hopefully over a few months or a few weeks or, or however however much time you're able to actually fully 
remember it and let that absorb into your brain. So this is the teaching strategy that I think is incredibly important, repetition. And it's something I, I really, really recommend teachers use. And of course, learners, you can incorporate this into your, into your learning processes as well. Sticking on the topic of repetition, there's something I've learned as, as I've been teaching more and more. There's a learning point that I've realized that I want to stress for teachers because I realize that um, it's something that a lot of people don't do. And it's really easy not to do it. Even myself, I still catch myself not doing it. And I've got to find, I have a good system to do what I'm, what I'm about to talk about, but I think I'm going to have to find a better system over time. Now, often what a lot of, te- what a lot of teachers will do, at least myself, what I used to do, and I've, from what I've seen, it seems to be common. A lot of language teachers will teach a specific concept, grammar point, vocabulary, they'll teach something. They will teach it to the learner, they'll explain it to them, they'll do lots of examples, and that'll be great. They will, if they're a better teacher, they'll probably give some kind of homework associated with that specific task or that specific point or concept that they covered together, right? So they will give a specific element of homework, which is crucial, but often you're never revisiting that material. You give the homework, you correct the homework, and you move on to a new concept. But here's the thing, that probably wasn't enough for the, you probably didn't do enough for the learners to fully internalize the stuff that you studied in the class or that you studied together. This is why a lot of people when they're studying languages, there are certain concepts they've learned or heard of or practiced or whatever, but even though they've seen it, they don't feel comfortable with it. They just don't feel comfortable yet. Think about, you know, I'm sure there's a variety of languages being learned amongst the people who are listening to this podcast, but think about something in your language. There are guaranteed, I think all of you can think of one thing, maybe probably even more than one, one thing that you have actually studied before, but you struggle, you still struggle with it. And you're like, yeah, I kind of get that, but I don't fully get it. Everyone can relate to that. And so as as a teaching strategy, one thing I highly recommend is step one, teach the concept step uh teach the concept as thoroughly as you can with as many examples as you can to help the learner understand it to as deep of a level as possible step two give them an assignment some kind of engaging or relevant even as relevant can go a long way a relevant assignment that helps them to further their learning and practice that concept and apply that concept once again between the classes between when your classes are now this is where step three comes into play you have to know that you have studied blah 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 concept and over the weeks to come and the months to come you have to uh you have to use the concepts that you learned you know in the previous class you have to use them throughout your classes to keep these students and make sure the students are continuously seeing those concepts I want to stress something here. You are not, let me give you this example. Let's say I'm teaching the past tense in Spanish. I teach it to you. You understand it. I give you homework. Fantastic. You did it. We correct your homework. Great. Amazing. Now, it doesn't mean that two weeks from now, I'm going to reteach you, teach you the past tense again. Not necessarily. But what it means is that now for the lessons to come, I'm going to be using the past tense with you when we speak on purpose. I'm going to make sure I use it 
to make sure that your brain is continuously exposed to it in a lightweight manner and continuously has to apply the knowledge that, 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 that you learned over the weeks and months to come. That's the only way for stuff to really get deep into the brain. And I find that a lot of people, I mean, not everyone, but I've seen people, and I used to be guilty of it myself, who don't necessarily do this. You teach a concept, you do the homework, you review it, blah, 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 and then you move on and you don't see that and you don't continuously keep that grammar concept or vocab concept as a theme amongst your lessons for an extended period of time. So it's something that I recommend to a lot of the people who, again, for, for, for people who teach languages, you have to do that in your lessons. For people who are learning languages, you have to make sure that whatever you learn, you, it can't be something you learn and then move on and you don't look at again. It has to be a, a, a recurring theme at least for a few weeks until your brain gets more and more and more and more and more used to it. I would say the more complex the topic, the more complex the thing that, you're, that you tried to learn, the longer and longer you have to keep it as a recurring theme um, within your studies to make sure your brain can finally get used to it and really truly internalize it. I'm gonna add a step four for teachers as well. Um, and this one's a little bit more challenging, but it's something that has to happen. And to be honest, I wish I could give you I wish I could give you a little bit more insight as to some foolproof ways to absolutely guarantee no matter who you are, you can make your students do this, but I haven't quite nailed it down to a science yet, but I know it's important. You have to find ways to put your students in situations where they are applying their knowledge. One of the things that I've realized over time now is when people are learning languages, the majority of people are not learning in environments where they are forced to apply their knowledge. They are learning in environments where they're just physic they're just learning stuff. They're memorizing stuff. They're doing assignments. They're doing they're, they're they're not in environments where they have to apply their knowledge. I've noticed this now. And the rea the problem with this is if you are only in environments where you do not have to apply your knowledge, you're not actually going to learn all that quickly. One of the things that's worked tremendously well for me is I do a really good job when I learn languages of balancing two things. Number one, I'm in lots of environments where I am being forced to build my foundations. I'm learning more vocabulary. I'm getting feedback on my pronunciation. I'm learning lots of grammar things and I'm practicing those grammar things. I'm getting feedback on the grammar things. Think of it like going to a, think of it like going to a boot camp or going to um, if you play a sport, it's like playing in the practices. You're going to practice and you're practicing the skills. I'm doing a lot of that when I'm learning languages. But at the same time, I'm doing a lot of things that force me to apply the knowledge. I do language exchanges. I try and communicate with native speakers. I will try and create content with the language. I try to use the language to accomplish some kind of goal. And the goals that I'm trying to accomplish, usually I try my best to use the knowledge that I've been learning in a practice scenario and to try to accomplish real goals and real tasks with those things. And what I've been noticing more and more is that the majority of language learners do not have that as a part of their learning process. So what I've been doing a lot of thinking about now as a teacher is how do I teach in a way where that when you are learning with me, a part of the learning process, a part of our lessons, let's call it, quote unquote, 
is, is, is a part of the structure of how you're learning is you being forced to uh, try to accomplish tasks, some kind of task or goal with the things that you've learned. I've done an okay job of it because we I've been doing excursions with students. We will do things out in the field. So I've done an okay job, but man, I need to do a better job. And I think most, I don't know if I can say most, but prob based on my experience so far in life, a lot of teachers, let's say, a lot of teachers are not doing a very good job of it. I know of me, Azrin, where I'm so focused on teaching and, and getting better at my practice and getting better and improving, if I'm mediocre at best at doing that currently, man, oh man, there are people, there are teachers out there who are not as focused on improving their craft that are going to be worse than me. And it's one of the most important things. It's, it's one of the things that'll make your students learn. As a teacher as well, it matters tremendously. Man, there's so much that's coming to mind today. Holy moly, I'm excited to be talking about all this teaching stuff. As a teacher, what matters tremendously as well um, is that you deeply care about developing your own craft and getting better. Um, it's funny, right? Because here, here's a really interesting thing about, about language, about teaching languages. There is a very common myth that the language teacher, that for you to teach the language, you have to know everything or you have to know a lot. You shouldn't be looking up words in the dictionary. You shouldn't have to wonder how something works. Like you should be the, really good at your craft, which is absolutely true. For sure, you should be good at your craft. Like no doubt. But I'll be real with you guys. I look up a lot of words in the dictionary. There's a lot of stuff I don't know. I'm always saying I don't know to things to my students. They'll be asking stuff and I'll be like, I don't know. I'll have to look into that. Let me Google it. Let me think about that. There's a lot of stuff that I'm always questioning the things that I'm doing that I thought were good so that I can get better. And no matter how good I get, I honestly feel like that's something I'll be doing no matter how good I get. I do it to a fault, probably. I do it so much that I actually sometimes doubt my own abilities. One of the things I've been thinking about recently, and I haven't decided, but I actually wonder, I question now, if I think I'm not good at business and, and working for myself and creating an income, for myself and business operational skills. I think I'm not that great because of how much I'm trying to always just get better. So I keep thinking, oh, I need to get better, I need to get better, I need to get better. And I don't realize some of the skills I have. And I've been thinking like, huh, I wonder if I actually am really good at it, but I've tricked myself into thinking that I'm not. I don't know. So, but that is something I think about. Same with the teaching side. Recently, I've realized, holy moly, I'm actually good at this. I have stuff to share that can help people. But it took me a while to come to that realization because I'm so focused on, okay, I need to get better. How can I improve? Oh, that's not working. How can I improve on that? Oh, how do I change this? How do I change that? But ultimately that is a trait I think that is really powerful for, for language teachers or teachers of anything really. It's a very powerful thing and you have to be very invested in your own development. The last, the worst thing you could do as a teacher, one of the worst things anyway, is for you to be like, all right, here's my method. This, oh man, this is going to go really, but this is going to be fun. It bothers me when it's like, this is my method. This is how it works. This is the research. Da -da 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 -da. Dot the I's, cross the T's, let's go. <laughs> it makes me laugh a little bit. I think you've got to have the confidence. I will say that too. Hey, this is what I do. This is how we're going to do it. But things change, man. Things change. <laughs> you should be learning and you should be like, oh, crap. Yes, that did work. 
and it does work, but I can make that better. And now here's the new system. Here's the better way. You can't stick to your, you can't just stick to it. Be like, yeah, this is what works. Okay, done, move, go forward. No, 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 no. You've got to be, you've got to adjust with the times. So anyway, this has been a nice and long podcast. Lots of good stuff here. I hope you took something away from it. Um, I appreciate your attention and we will talk uh, next time. Bye for now. See you.